Oh, are we hot? Okay, this is the About Violence co- uh, podcast, and we are at The Range Austin. I'm here with my good friend, Omar Avia, known as Crispy. I don't want to be hot anymore. <laughs> my hot. I'll, I'll pass. My hot friend. Yeah, you, 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 you definitely want to pass on anything heat-related. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. How much of your body is burnt? 75%. That's a lot of body. Um, so... Uh, Omar, we, we've known each other. We're fellow Texans, um, and uh, but not neither of us born here. No, that yeah. is. Oh, that's. I never thought of that. Uh huh. That is true. Yeah, but I mean, I was technically born here because I was born in Mexico, and uh, this used to be part of Mexico till it was <laughs> stolen from us. And but you know, I mean, I'm not going to get into it. But yeah, potatoes, potatoes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we did get here as fast as we could. That is true. Yeah. Um, there are some similarities we're not born here. Uh, we both came here. We both, uh, were doing things athletically that I think pre-service, um, could have taken our lives in very different directions. Yeah. Had I stayed fighting, had you continued to play football, um, you, you're an incredibly talented athlete. I appreciate that. And, uh, you know, deadlift twice what I let, what I lift currently. <laughs> and I have all of my fingers <laughs> you know, and legs. I am. Not, I don't know. It's just, it was something that's clear. I, I think, man, it's, it's, I always get this question where I'm like, how do you deadlift so much? I, I don't know. I, I'm literally, I've been told this and I tell this to a lot of my friends that I'm literally too stupid to quit. So <laughs> I just don't know. I just get there and I go and I'm like, cool. Okay. I can go heavier or, you know, let's try this again. It just works. I have no idea how I can now deadlift a bunch of my friends, it's but pretty rad. I do. We are uh, outdoor outdoorsmen. We love to hunt. We love the second amendment. Um, we have unfortunately the same circle of friends yep. that we just that just won't die. I'm not kidding. <laughs> There's nothing we can do to just get rid of them, um, you know. But uh, so let's go back to born in Mexico. Yeah, you swim? No, actually. <laughs> No, it, it, most it's people, a fair question. Most, yeah, it really is. Yeah. Most people so do. That sounded racist, but if you've been not. down to the no, Rio yeah. Grande Valley and you, you're you like, see it every day. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 dude. That was that was definitely one of those things. So my dad um, served in the army, U.S. citizen, the whole nine. Uh, we lived in Matamoros uh, at the time, where we were we were staying in Matamoros. I'm originally from Villahermosa, Tabasco, which is south South Mexico. And so my dad brought us to Matamoros to live there for a few years while we did all our paperwork to become citizens. Yeah. Um, and so my dad was constantly traveling back and forward, back and forward from the bridge. And I mean, if you live near a border town, you can you know how bad it gets to cross. So I mean, it's hours at the bridge just to get one way and then yeah. back after work. And so he just got tired of it. He kept checking on, on status to see when we were going to do our paperwork. And we just kept getting pushed. And my dad's uh, attorney at the time said, look, it's much easier for you to get him, get them here illegally. You pay a fine, but your paperwork goes right to the top of the list, and which didn't make sense. Like, yeah. Are you kidding me? Um, and this is probably like the story I've only said maybe once, twice on a podcast. But, dude, I spoke no English, and then, then my siblings, uh, I think it was nine years, oh, no, I was seven years old, eight years old. Um, and my brother was like five and my sister was three. So, I mean, 
tiny. Yeah. You know, my mom didn't speak a lick of English. Uh, my dad was the only one. And my dad shows up to the house one day with brand new clothes, balloons, like gifts and stuff. And we're like, what the hell? You know, so it's a Sunday. I didn't know we were going to a party. So my dad pulls me aside and he's like, hey, you're the oldest. I need you to. And then, by the way, this is all in Spanish, this conversation. Yeah. He's like, I need you to learn one word for me. And I said, okay. My dad goes, party. And I'm like, okay. He goes, say it to me. And I was like, I couldn't say it. He goes, okay, practice. So we start practicing. My dad gives us all the clothes. We get ready. You know, we're on our Sunday's best. And, you know, we got balloons and stuff. And my dad used to drive this old school LeBaron. That was a convertible. So we're sitting in the back. My mom and dad, obviously, in the front. We're driving. I'm just excited. We're going to a party. Like, heck, yeah. And all of a sudden, I see we're going over a bridge. And as soon as we hit the bridge, my mom just starts praying. And I can see my mom just, like, fiddling with her roastery and just praying and praying and praying. I'm like, what the heck is going on? Like, huh. I I didn't know what was going on. And we finally get to this, I don't know, this booth or whatever. Yeah. And the guy starts talking to my dad. And, you know, they were having a conversation. The guy is asking my dad, um, where you guys headed, you know, what's going on? And my dad's pretty much telling him, like, oh, we're headed to McDonald's. Uh, one of our nephews is having a birthday party. We're just going to go for the day and come back to Matamoros. And the guy goes, okay. He's like, all you citizens? My dad's like, yeah. You know, lying. Yeah. And, <laughs> and the guy, or the U.S. custom guy, looks at me and he goes, where you guys headed? And all I said was, party. The party. And the guy goes, go ahead. And that's how we got across. Yeah. And I mean, you're talking about back in like 90, what was that? 96, maybe? Yeah. No, 93. Whoa. Yeah, like 93. Um, and, you know, I mean, it wasn't as crazy as back then as now. So we got across and then my dad started all the paperwork and everything. And I ended up becoming a U.S. citizen two weeks before 9-11, my sophomore year of high school. What? Yeah. But you, you bring up a very, I mean, Timing is is pretty unique right now. As two Americans were just killed at the border, um, yeah. the cartel snagged. Uh, I mean, in your, your your neck of the woods, yeah, uh, in the Rio Grande Valley, um, the Gulf Cartel grabbed some Americans that had just uh, legally crossed the border. As soon as they crossed the border, and in this kidnapping, they end up killing two Americans. Mm-hmm. Um, the Gulf Cartel took the, a few of the the kidnappers that worked for the Gulf, Gulf cartel and then turn them in, turn them in yeah. zip tied with a letter being like, lo siento muchos amigos, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, yo tengo no problema con tu. And you're like, get out of here. But that, that thing is getting crazy because when it first started, they said that they, they went there for cosmetic work. Listen, I've lived in Brownsville my whole life and gone to Matamoros. My parents still go to Matamoros to get medical procedures with beef dentist, stuff like that. Matamoros is not known for a BBL or tummy tuck or whatever she was getting. Like the most lipo and boob jobs is what they do there. Uh, And so there's a lot of things coming out. There was a fifth person. Yeah. A lot of things don't make make sense. They're not making sense that were, that she stayed behind and they only had a room for one night. And so that she's saying a bunch of things. Why was the other guy wearing a bulletproof vest in Matamoros? You know what I mean? Like, and then, you know, from what I heard now from a bunch of friends down there that work in the border is they apparently try to rob a pharmacy and then they got lit up. Yeah. And guess who owns the pharmacies? Exactly. Yeah. The cartel. Exactly. Um, but 
what I wanted to point out was in the nineties, you know, your father recognized <clears throat> that the legal point of entries take hours and hours mm -hmm. and hours and hours. So if you want to legally cross, so I was working on the border and, um, we would have people that we would interdict and it's like, you know, what are you doing? You know, yeah. like, um, I got to go to work tomorrow. Yeah. You no, know, I live in Mexico and I have to work tomorrow. So it takes, instead of me taking four five, six hours, depending on how long the lines are, mm -hmm. you know, they don't want to go all the way down to Eagle pass because the cartels are running it down there oh, yeah. and they're going to get scuffed up. And they, if they don't pay the fee to cross, I was going to say, yeah, they get, they get charged a fee just to cross. Yeah. So, um, out of convenience, you know, and we arbitrarily, you know, drew these lines on the ground and said, Hey, this group is now Mexico and this group is now America, America, you know, and like c cousin lives down here, brother lives down here. Yep. So generationally it's, it's really difficult for the rest of the United States to understand how complex the border is. Oh dude. Yeah. I mean, growing up we had, I mean, all, most of them, like 40% of my friends lived in Matamoros. So these guys after school, <clears throat> We'll go to football practice with us, go to football games, and then they had to go back home across the border. And that took another hour. Yeah. And you're talking about these guys, these kids were waking up like at four in the morning to get to school at seven <clears throat> every day. Wow. So like, then they don't really know that. And, and some of them, some of these kids will live in Brownsville while their parents were in Matamoros and they wouldn't see their family for weeks at a time. And then, you know, they finally go during a holiday or something and then get together. But it's 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 different. It's a rough life. I don't think anybody from outside of South Texas doesn't realize what it is to live in a border town. Yeah, yeah, it's wild. Um, but all the policymakers in Washington D.C. You know, you want to talk about an environment, a world that could not be further from the southern border. Oh, God. They, they, can't, they couldn't <clears throat> imagine what a day in Eagle Pass looks like. No. They would die if, if we took any one of those policymakers and we brought them down to Southwest Texas. Oh, yeah. We took to, to, to Big Bend, right? Like, hey, I want you to cross from here through Marathon. They're, they're dead in five, five oh, hours. They wouldn't make you know, it at snake all. Snake bites, scorpions, exposure, yep. hot, cold wind, yep. coyotes, freaking bears. Oh, there's, yeah. I mean, like. They're not going to make it. They're not going to make it. Okay, so. <laughs> You become a citizen. Yep. 9-11 um, happens. Yep. Are we playing football yet? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. So um, I've seen some pictures of you in uh, from high school. <laughs> and I could not imagine. I, I fancy myself an athlete. <laughs> to like be lined up and to look up and to see your big brown ass looking at me. <laughs> with maybe a little bit of drool coming down, you oh, know? Oh, dude. It was, I love football. Yeah, I... Uh, I excelled at that sport for some reason. I mean, I'm your, I'm above average Mexican. I'm 6'2". I was like 190, maybe 205 and as a sophomore. But and, you were also fast. And I was, yeah, and that too. And, you know, you look down there and there's not a lot of tall Mexicans no. down there. So, like, I just stood out. And then my friends and I just got addicted to the gym. You know, you start seeing that little bicep and, yeah. you know, you see your traps growing. You see the girls noticing and you're like... Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So do we spend, I mean, we do two a days and then we go and hit the gym and then we just walk out, just, you know, yoked up and the cheerleaders are there and they're all looking and you're like, we did it for that. And then it translated into football. Yeah. And then, you know, we get to the football field and you just like jacked up. And I, I had like a chip on my shoulders cause I was a, I made varsity and started as a freshman. So I was like, Oh, I can't, 
you can't go down from here. Yeah. So I was always trying to, you know, get to the next level and just kept working, working, working and uh, did varsity for four years. But yeah, I was already playing football my sophomore year when 9-11 happened. Yeah, man. Um, so 9-11 happens and uh, th- this pl- I'm assuming this plants a seed in your soul. Mm-hmm. And what is, what is the route from football, you know, scholarships, you know, in my, in my, in my, you know, I'm not an NS, an NFL uh, scout, you know, yeah. you, you know, there, there's some Pat Tillman things here, um, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. you're alive, thank God. But what, what is the route to ultimately wearing the flag on your shoulder and being in uniform? Yeah. So, I mean, like I said, you know, it happened, uh, 9-11 happened when I was a sophomore in high school. I'm sitting in class. I literally just became a U.S. citizen like two weeks before this. So at that moment, I was very, very proud to be an American. And, and you know, you always hear the the famous line, like, we signed a blind check to this country, you know, signing up for the service. I felt that it was the other way around. This country gave me and my siblings a blank check to become anything that we ever wanted to become in this country and just be successful, you know, be that... Um, migrant, you know, all American story. And I'm sitting there and I know how good I am in football. You know, I have all these things lined up, but for some reason that just really struck me as I want to go serve my country because I don't want my siblings to ever have to witness that or have, you know, someone else come and invade our country and, 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 you know, live a horrible life here. We're supposed to be the land of the free. So when that happened, I had made up my mind and I put in the back of my head, I was like, I want to sign up. Like I want to go. But, and, and, and my dreams was to get recruited by any university, give my all and potentially make it to the next level, which was the NFL. But, uh, you know, I don't know what that was going to look like. You know, obviously I was a great athlete in the Valley, but I didn't know how that was going to translate somewhere else. Kept working hard, kept working hard. Senior year comes around, and at this point, you know, I am getting some recruitment letters to go here and there. But I honestly have made up my mind that I wanted to go into the service. And, you know, I just signed up and went. And that was my—I wanted that to be my contribution to this country as a thank you for giving my family and I an opportunity uh, to become your citizens. And, you know, a lot, I've said this multiple times and people are like, well, your dad served, you know, that that's enough. And I was like, I don't think it was like, I, I literally was in that classroom crying because of what had happened when we were watching it on TV and it struck a chord. And I was like, I want to go fight these bastards and I want to give them everything I got. And that's ultimately what made me want to join and why I joined. Yeah. All right. So I'm a subscriber to GoodRanchers.com, and um, I get my meat from there with 85% of grass-fed beef coming from overseas sources. I want to know where my meat comes from. So all the meat that I put on my table for my family, I want it to be born in America. I want to be raised in America. I want to be ultimately harvested here in America. So I want American meat. I want to support local farmers. That's why I use GoodRanchers.com. So check out GoodRanchers.com. It's the best. You're going to love it. It's absolutely delicious. You're rad. <laughs> You're a rad human. So, um, what do you go in as? What's your MOS? Where do you go? Yeah, so I, dude, right off the bat, you know, I, I as a sophomore, uh, I had friends who were seniors and joined. And so 
when they were coming back home on leave, I was talking to them and asking them like, hey, what are you guys doing? And man, about, I want to say like 15 uh, out of my 20 friends were all infantry. And I can see the difference. You know, I see all the infantry dudes like when they all got together and they were like here and then you see the other guys and yeah. they were kind of like, you know, they're <laughs> hanging around. And not that there's anything wrong with those other jobs, but you can tell who, you know, who was up here and then you know these guys were the support and i was like asking all these questions and i was like look i want to go but i want to fight like what i want and then everything just kept infantry infantry and you know I, there was always this misconception thinking that because you join infantry you're one of the dumbest people in the military which is totally For this, the from opposite the truth. yeah like yeah it, I, I argue this any any american right now i'm gonna bet i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna beg I want you to go take the ASVAB <laughs> yeah. right now, today, yeah. as soon as you're listening to this podcast, just hit pause, go take the ASVAB and see what jobs you qualify for. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, you will not, oh cool, you got a master's degree, you won't qualify for infantry. You won't. You, uh, you know, you're, you're a junior in college and you're like, oh, I, I think I'm going to go SEAL. <laughs> cool. Take the test and yeah. see what you qualify, what job you qualify for. And you're going to have, so currently 77% of Americans, we talked about this in this prior podcast with Chantry and Travis, don't even qualify to serve. Mm -hmm. And and of the remaining 23%, the interest to serve is at an all-time low. And of those interested to serve, if you went and took the test, you're going to realize we don't want you. Yeah. You're not smart enough. You're not strong enough. You're not tough enough. We don't have a place for you. I know that getting into the military and specifically combat arms is way harder and way higher of a selection and attrition process than any Ivy League university in the United States. So like, I, I laugh. I laugh yeah. at the ignorance. <laughs> it's just ignorance. Yeah. The yeah, ignorance of these people yeah. that have any idea about what it looks like to serve Everybody their country. Everybody thinks we're all knuckle-draggers. Which we are. Right. We are, but, <laughs> but smart knuckle-draggers. Yeah. And so so that, that literally like just grabbed me. I was like, I want to do that. And then I started looking into everything and I started looking into like, you know, the special forces, the Rangers, the Delta and all that. And I was like, okay, cool. This is what I want to do. I want to come in, do infantry for a few years, use that as a stepping stone and then yeah. try to do something in the special operations. So that was my ultimate goal and came in, got a contract right off the bat. I, I knew the recruiter. Levin Bravo. Yep. <clears throat> he used to play, uh, it was actually Levin X-Ray mm -hmm. or. Yep. What was the fast one? There's the 11 X-ray. No, but it was something. It was something. I can't remember what my contract was. It was something for fast entry or whatever. Huh. I don't. I don't even remember. But anyway, so signed up. First time I've ever been in an airplane was on my way to Fort Benning. <laughs> Second time out of my airplane, I was. And an airplane was jumping out in Fort Benning, and I was like, "Oh, this is cool." And then, <laughs> Wait, so first time on an airplane was flying to Fort Benning. Yep. Second time in an airplane was jumping out of an airplane in into Fort, Benning, Fort Benning. Yeah, dude, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, and then uh, you know, obviously flew <laughs> flew home and hung out for a little bit, and then uh, ended up getting stationed in uh, Germany with First ID. So the third time I was on a plane, it was like a ten-hour flight to Germany. Yeah. And, you know, I was like, what the hell? Dude, no. who's uh, chewing on their nails right now? Uh, who? First ID. Yeah. Oh, why? I mean, they're on the front. They call it the front line, you know, but with uh, the war all the way through Ukraine, mm. you know, talking Poland. Yeah, 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 yeah. Dude, They are spun up right now. Yeah. They're like. Bro, 
Let them go. Let them go. That's let, what I said. I said let them cool. go. You, 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 you talk about fighting communism? Let them go. Let them go. Yeah. You, you, want to, you want this to be done? You take some M1s and some Bradleys. Oh. And uh, I'm just going to say one brigade. Yeah. We're done. No, yeah. We're done a here. Couple, give it a couple of days. Yeah. 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 To, I want to say to minimal casualties to almost none, and we'll get it done. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be, it would be fun. The, uh, but I just, I was just in Germany and I uh, got to spend some time with the soldiers over there and, uh, man, you, you, it was palatable. You know, there was not since kind of peak war 2006, yeah. 2005 had I felt that, um, that, that angst, yeah. you know, that like, I want to get in a fight angst. Yeah. 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 Man, every time I see videos on Instagram and, you know, from the Ukraine war, I'm just, my back just starts tingling. Like there's like, you know, in the back of your shoulder, like, fuck, I want to go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously we've seen quite a bit of war. A little bit. Not that, (laughs) not that war is good, uh, but war is necessary Mm -hmm. and um, war is is a terrible thing. And I am, I am anti military industrial complex. I am anti profiteering off of any American that is having to fight overseas, but I'm also against assholes. Yeah. You know, and when you have people that are, that are, and and I'm not defending Ukraine, I'm not defending Zelensky. And I I think a lot of people are just depending on what party lines they're sitting on. They're just going to be like, Oh, I'm going to plant my flag here. I'm like, You've ignorantly <laughs> planted your flag in the things yeah. that you do not understand. The yeah, because there's, there's a couple of, like Zelensky, you know, doing that press conference saying, America must send their sons son. and daughters Fuck you, dude. get out of here. Oh, Shut up. Off. Like, Shut up. The, and yeah, so I'm, I'm, I don't know. That's a fucking weird one. I'm, yeah, it's hard. Sometimes I just want to be like, grab all our fucking troops, bring them home. Let them fucking deal with it. Yeah, like, that's it, not our problem. No. You know? Why don't we worry about the homeless uh, epidemic that we have here in the country? You know, all this fucking fentanyl getting across the borders. Um, helping our fucking veterans and then we can maybe worry about helping someone else. But why are we so focused on helping others when we can't even help ourselves? Yeah. Um, money. (laughs) Yeah. That's, that's the long story. Yeah. That's yeah. And I know when you talk about overseas military policy and the deterrence, like why do we still have soldiers in Germany? Why do we still have soldiers in Japan? Why do we have people in the Philippines? Why do we, why are we, you know, we're currently at conflict with China in Africa, um, fighting for space and land. Yeah. Well, Um, you wouldn't know that you've been there more than anybody else. I know. Yeah. It's lame. Um, so you get the, the fast track to become an infantryman. Yeah. You get your blue cord, and uh, airborne, your first deployment. How's this go? Uh, well, not so well. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's the end state. All right, so you're sitting in Germany. Yeah. And how, how, I mean, like, you, you guys get your your. You know, it was it was really weird. I mean, imagine being a kid from South Texas, where it's always humid, and you know, we get, we're right next to South Padre Island, so it's humid and hot the whole time. So you're used to that. Yeah. And then you show up to a country where it's cold as hell yeah. all the time. And then, you know, so I get you're there. Mexican, not a native, like English is your second language. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. You're in Germany. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's like Guten Morgen. And you're like, <laughs> not only that, a lot of the buildings that we trained in were from back from World War II. Oh, so like your guys' chow hall oh, yeah. was the headquarters to the Panzers. Yeah, yeah. You can still see some of the swastikas in the wall somewhere, which, 
you know, a lot of people might get offended, but I saw like the history and, I loved, and I all love. that. Like, I love seeing all those things. I'm a big, big World War II guy. Like, if if, if I would have given the option today and say, hey, you can get wounded in Iraq or in World War II, where would you go? I pick World War II yeah. every single time. That's a big. Uh, that's a big statement. Yeah, I hate so Germany. I don't know how to say, I'll say it. They whitewashed the, the history mm -hmm. off of all the buildings. Yeah. Our military bases, we hadn't done that. Yeah. No. So when we took control of Stuttgart, Ramstein, Lawnstuhl, Baumholder, Hornsfeld, yeah, all Bilsic, of those, yeah. every one of those bases, like that was a Panzer tank division, yeah. oh, or yeah. this was a so and so. -and -so. We, put, we put walls around it, yeah. and it kind of got frozen in time that, a yeah, little bit. Because they couldn't touch it, yeah. And you can walk out through all of Berlin, mm -hmm. and you don't see a single swastika. No. You don't see a single SS thing. You don't see a single, like, Hitler symbol, you know, but there are little things on our bases, mm -hmm. and it's wild. Yeah, it's really, it really is. I mean, when we, so, we, you know, that and the, and the barracks, and to me it was something crazy because I'm like, I'm sleeping in a room where probably like, you know, X amount of years ago, there was a Nazi guy yeah. sitting here. Like, right I'm there. like, I wonder how he feels. And I just rolled more on purpose. Like, <laughs> I'm a fart my yeah. bed. Uh. Yeah. I'm a Mexican immigrant, <laughs> yeah. you know, that snuck across to go to McDonald's for a party. Yep. And now I'm, I'm in now another quarter. Yep. Now I'm an 11 banger sitting in Germany. This yeah. so and then, the, and then we went off to Vilsack and uh, Hornsfeld to do training. And to me, it was the wildest thing. And uh, I, I got in trouble one time because, you know, we're having this town hall meeting with, you know, the commander and garrison commander. Everybody's up there and they're, you know, we're going to go into Iraq, boys. Y'all take this serious. We just got orders. La, la. And I'm like, I'm the only one looking around. I just, you know, as the E4, I'm like, what? Yeah. And I'm like, what you got? And I was like, sir, how much sense does it make to train in the snow when we're going to the desert? And bro, my first sergeant came over and grabbed me. He said, come here. <laughs> That's a great question, though. Yeah, it yeah. was, and and shortly after that, we ended up in Iraq, and um, you know, we we get there, and it was, dude, it was a crazy like culture shock. I mean, I got used to the heat. This is in what two thousand six. Okay. Yeah. Where in Iraq? Uh, we were in uh, Adamia, which was the last place where Saddam Hussein had been seen before he went into hiding. In two thousand six. Yep. What month? Uh, we got there around June. Bro, you were right next to us. Yeah, yeah, I know. There was an SF compound right next to Apache where we lived. Yeah, I think you guys left because another group came in shortly after that. When I got hurt, there was another group that came in because I used to I used to cut it up with one of their medics all the time, and he was the one that was you, like me, Brian, Stan, Jocko, Chris, Kyle. We're all essentially at the same, well i did have this conversation with when i used to work with chris yeah and he was like are you he's like i drove right by you guys a couple times i was yeah. like i was like oh shit i was like i remember they came over the radio and they said hey some seals are coming to refit in apache because it was a two-story house yeah. essentially where we lived in and I, I didn't see him but they came in and then they left i was out on patrol or something but yeah that's i didn't know jocko was there too that's crazy yeah. oh wow <laughs> small that's, world that's in a big wild. war yeah no shit and yeah in a big war and uh so we you know we got there and um you know may 14th of 2007 is when i got hit uh with an ied it was a 200 pound explosive um improvised explosive device that they had dug under and so you'd been there 10 months about yeah Holy that's crap. when we got extended from 12 months to 15 months yeah so when i got hit, army yeah <laughs> 
when I got hit, we were actually supposed to be going home already. Like we were supposed to start doing left seat, right seats yeah. with whoever was going to replace us. And right, so um, let's just say you're on a 10 month deployment. Um, the unit that is already in country, the re replacing unit is going to come in. You're going to have this PDSS, the pre-deployment site survey. So the a group from the incoming uh, unit is going to come in and look at all the facilities, get all their questions answered, and then they're going to come back. They're going to have an advon come, and the the next mo unit is getting closer and closer. The advon comes, make sure that the advanced party that uh, everything's ready for a handoff. This advon starts spending time, so it's like the team leaders, platoon leaders, um, the company commander, the company first sergeant. You know, and they're they're learning the battle rhythm. They're they're learning like kind of the AO. Yep. Um, and then the the handoff happens. This this handoff takes three to four months yeah when in a 12-month deployment mm -hmm. on the sf side it's like six weeks and um so you guys would already kind of be packing up to go home at oh this yeah juncture. i was supposed to be going home i mean i was we were supposed to put bradley's on tracks and head back to kuwait make sure everything was on tracks and then go home so but but yeah. as we were getting ready to do that uh and we all kind of knew it wasn't a good sign because they said Hey, everybody gather up in the quad is what we call it. And we're like, ah, oh, shit. Yeah. It's either, you know, every time you gather up in the quad, it was either someone got smoked um, during the holidays or when we had like really bad fucking news. And so we're sitting there and we're like, ah. and they had already been kind of like, you know how it goes, man. Everybody kind of finds out about everything. Yeah. And uh, somebody's wife had emailed one of the guys and said, hey, there's talk on the news that they're going to get extended. And then that kind of, so everybody's there like, ah, oh, fuck, we're either going to get told we're getting extended or not. And, you know, our air company commander gets up there. Amazing guy. I love the dude to death. And he goes, who's heard about the 15 month deployment? And like every fucking person in there. Yeah. And they're like, well, yeah, boys, we're getting extended. And we're like, fuck. And then he goes, but don't worry. They are going to give you extra pay. La, 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 and everybody's like, man, fuck this extra pay. Yeah. I want to go home. And so we got extended, and, and literally it was like month 11 when I got hit. And so you're getting ready to come home. Yeah. yeah it, it's, I have a real hard time describing Iraq in 2006. Hmm. Um, you know, during the surge? Yeah. 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 We're talking peak war. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, we're at war for 20 years and you know, we, we've had this ebb and flow of surges, drawdowns, drawbacks, um, you know, like coin. It, it seemed like every new administration came in with this new initiative, but yeah. ultimately the, the ground fighters, the war fighters on the ground doing the actual work, we experienced really different type of war. Yeah. Um, during the counterinsurgency time frame, you know, where we're trying to like cut the head off the snake, but then like two new snakes emerge, yeah. you know, and then it's like, all right, surge, let's just push everybody. Let's take control of ground. We're going to take Ramadi. We're going to take Sadr City. We're going to fight Fallujah. Yeah. You know, like ah, this 2005, 2006 war it is when you, when you say the only time we'd go into the square is when somebody got smoked and that happened a yeah. lot. We are fighting Every and I would say fighting, we are gunfighting every day. Oh yeah, there wasn't a day when nothing happened on our end. Yeah, I mean, you know, our our unit was the hardest hit unit since any other unit since Vietnam, I believe. We lost a total of thirty five guys. What? Yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, almost like 80% of the company had Purple Hearts, Silver Stars. We had uh, one Medal of Honor recipient, um, uh, Ross McGinnis. Um, and so it was it was a hot zone. I mean, it was literally like some of the other guys that have been there that had one or two deployments and other belts were like, I've never, he's like, this is a lot. And I'm like, oh, shit. And when you're listening to the E6s as an E4, E5, you're like, Wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> like, oh shit. Yeah. And, you know, we even, our platoon sergeant was uh, in. Um, Desert Storm? No. Uh, Panama? No. Grenada? No. Uh, Black Hawk Down. Um, oh, Somalia. In Somalia. And he was like, you know, that one man, was. A, he kind of. He's a ranger. Oh, yeah. My he he kind of like. He was like, this is kind of up to par with that. I'm like, man, what the hell? Yeah. Like, Are you kidding me? I'm like, ah, Everybody almost yeah. died there. Yeah, I'm like, shit. <laughs> like, you're, you're lucky to be here. And you're, I'm like, uh, you know, but yeah, it was, it was really intense. I mean, there wasn't a day when something didn't happen with her ID. You know, somebody got smoke, firefights. Um, you know, we, we lived in a very small um, compound. And, you know, there was one time where they trying to overrun the whole compound. I mean, they brought everything that they could. And that was probably five months into us being there. Yeah. And it, we smoked so many of them. And then from there, they realized that they couldn't fight us, you know, face to face. And that's kind of when they started transitioning into the IED. And then that's kind of where everything changed. Yeah. Got shitty. Yeah. Real shitty. I mean, I got blown up like 12 times before I got hurt. Yeah, there's a couple that just rang the fuck out of my bell, and I'm like, "Whoo, okay, cool." Like, you go, yeah. home, you're like throwing up when you get back home. You can't sleep. The world's spinning. The world's kind of blurry. And you're like, "I'm fine." <laughs> yeah, no, I'm good. Everything's oh, good. Right. Yeah. And the VA's like not service related. Uh, yeah, yeah, no shit. Okay, so you get blown up um, in May of 2007. Yep. And um, here we are in a beautiful top floor fancy room yeah no kidding you've, you've kind of had a wild ride from i mean burnt amputee service member um now i mean like i argue political figure you know you're you're beyond influencer i didn't even know what that word means now <laughs> you know but uh like you're gonna be sitting on a panel today for south by southwest talking about veterans mental health um you know like not just brands come to you to, to test stuff, to try stuff, to use stuff, to, but also to speak for them. Yeah. Um, th there's a lot of, a lot of growing up that happens from really fast. A, yeah. yeah. A young soldier to where, where you are now. Mm -hmm. What, what, what the hell? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I got, when I got hit, I was 21. And so, I mean, imagine being a 21 year old. All I wanted to do is like go to war, fight, come back, party, hook yeah. up, and then just repeat, you know, and, and then all of a sudden you find yourself in a hospital and you don't know where you are. You're all bandaged up. And then to top it off, you're you're strapped down because with burns, I guess at night I was scratching myself and I was kind of killing the uh, skin grafts. So then they strap you in, you know, you wake up and you're you're on so many drugs, you're hallucinating. Like I had some of the wildest fucking dreams you can ever think of on um was it Dilaudid or I can't remember. No, it was, uh, I can't remember what the sleeping medication was. It'll come to me, but man, I had some of the wildest dreams you can ever imagine. Um, you know, I was having dreams of me being burned and melt alive again, 
but somehow I was talking. Um, I had dreams of like me hanging out with friends and then all of a sudden I was just carrying their hands and I'm like, what the hell? Yeah. Um, so it was like one of the craziest things. And it made me realize that I went from being this 21 year old to now I got to grow up very fast and figure things out. And, and that was a weird transition because, you know, imagine being 21 years old and now you're having your mom wipe your ass after you take a shit, having her dress you having her change your bandages, having to give up her life to come take care of you, you know, and that's not the way it's supposed to be. I felt like you had to, at some point, take care of her, you know, they can't, you can't go back. Yeah. And that's what happened. You know, she, we were, she was going back. I felt like a burden to them. I felt like, you know, like I was worthless because I was no longer in the fight. I, I had nowhere else to go. I, and and it wasn't like my teammates were reaching out because they're still fighting. Yeah. I mean, they're busy fighting. They don't, and I don't blame them. They don't have the time to, you know, fly from Iraq to San Antonio to be like, hey, you good, bro? Yeah. Okay, cool. I'm going to fly back. Like, you know, that never happened. And so now you, you feel alone. No one's there. You're wounded. And you just let your mind race pretty fast. And uh, there was a couple of times contemplated suicide because I felt like I was a burden of people. I didn't. I didn't want to do that. I'm like, dude, I'm just holding everybody back. And then you quickly realize with the support system that I had, like I had so many amazing people around me that, you know, you quickly have to grow up and then, you know, you start meeting different people. And, you know, when I met Chris, we went hunting together for the first time. And then it was kind of introducing me to the outdoors. And I was like, this is freaking, I love this. This is changing my life. And then I go, we'll do some work with him. And then, the guy that you sit across from and you watch every day gets fucking killed by some douchebag. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you're back to fuck. Yeah. What do I do now? And and then, you know, I, I found an interest and found an outlet in powerlifting. You know, I was back I went back to Brownsville after Chris was killed and one of my friends uh, opens up a gym and, you know, he's like, Hey man, you need to come check out Harnox, like, come lift and I'm like, All right, cool. So I go First day I'm there, I did a lift like 400. And he's like, what the hell? And I'm like, what? Yeah, one-legged. Yeah, and he's and like. No hands. And he's like, you can, he's like, I can go heavier. And he goes, are you kidding me? And I was like, oh. And the following week I go in and I deadlift 500. And he's just like, what the, f-? he's like, dude, are, are you taking anything? I'm like, like what? I'm like, I, yeah, I drank some protein before <laughs> I walked in here. And he goes, wait, what? And I was like, he's like, I've been training guys here for a long time and they can't even deadlift 500. And I was like, oh shit. And then right after that, like, the bug bit me. And then I got into that and started doing that in, in professional ways. So did powerlifting, broke a bunch of world records. And then slowly after that, I found myself like having a surgery and asking the doctor to fuse my finger so that I can pull the trigger on a gun and pick that up. And then I'm out at the shooting range and then uh, doing all these other crazy things when got certified for uh, skydiving. Right now I'm gonna go uh, tomorrow, I fly to Miami to go get my certification for scuba diving again. And then right after that, I'm gonna try to hit my dive master's certification. Um, all these things that I've done since I've been wounded is because I've always wanted to do things better than any able-bodied person. Yeah. And it's literally what has always driven me. And I love it. Like I love fucking working out with my friends and you know, they walk in with their six bags and jacked and here comes this little, well not little, but this big fat fucking 
like, that's cute. And I just out deadlift everybody or out bench everybody. Yeah. And they're trying to figure out how these two hands can bench 500 and how the bar just balances on my hand. I love that. And so it, I but, don't like it <laughs> at all. So it, uh, it made me grow up really fast and, I have an eight pack, by the way, just to... yeah, and many grow up really fast and everything that I did became a passion and a love. And I just like the outdoors, lifting, shooting guns, uh, you know, being around like-minded people. And then you find your community, man. Like I felt like, you know, from you to Matt, to Dakota, you know, to Evan, all these guys that I hang out with, it's like a like-minded people where if I felt like these people that I hang out with is like, if I don't bring a value to them, and they bring a value to me, I'm doing a disservice to my friends. Yeah. So I've always wanted to like be better and bring something to the table that all of us can benefit from and vice versa. And man, that's honestly what kind of helped me a lot was finding my community once again outside of the military and understanding that those glory days are gone for me. Yeah. And now I need to be an advocate for those veterans who are sitting at home feeling sorry for themselves, that don't want to push forward, that feel like you know, the world is, it's caving in on them. And it's just like, look, dude, here I am burned up 75% of my body, third and fourth degree burns, I'm missing a leg. And I couldn't be happier to be here today because not only am I living for me, I'm living for every single one of my teammates who's no longer here. And if I sit at home doing this bullshit and not, you know, feeling sorry for myself and not going out there and accomplishing things, I'm doing those guys an injustice. And I guarantee you, if they were to give them a chance to switch places with you, and then them be alive here with their families and their kids, they do it in a fucking heartbeat and live their life plus 30 more yeah. for everybody else. Yeah. Man. So. <laughs> Love you, dude. I do um, too, bro. Your, your story. Are you going to write a book? I do. It's already out. What is, what's the name of it? Under My Skin. Un, that's uh, mm-hmm. it. Is yeah. that on Amazon? It is. Uh, I've not read this book. I've been meaning to ring you one and I forgot it at home. Okay. I will. Uh, I have one. <laughs> well, I don't want your free book. I will buy, I will buy the oh, book. Shut up. But um, go buy under your, under my skin, and uh, leave a positive review. I'm gonna read it, and uh, and I think we'll do it for our book club too. Oh, cool. Depends if it's good. It's okay. It's okay. It's, it's in English. Uh, yeah. It's yeah. Well, it's got pictures. <laughs> no, and dude, honestly, it's it's a totally different. It's it's kind of a little different. I like like your book and you know the stories, but it's literally what it is. It's 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 nothing to do with. I joined the service and killed all these people. Brah! Like, no, it's my story leading up to how I got to this country, what I did, um, being wounded after that, and then all everything else I accomplished and where we're at today. Because, yeah. um, you know, I, as, as cool as those war books are, which I really, you know, like reading them, I wanted to do something that was outside of that. It was kind of gives you a real insight of, you know, all the crazy stuff that we went through, the 103 surgeries that I've had, you know, all, all the, the failure things that I've uh, that I've had in my life, because I feel like we tend to just show the big accomplishments in our lives. Like, oh, look at me. I'm here today. But no one ever really talks about like I was depressed. Um, you know, I, I was wondering why I was wanted to kill myself. Oh, shit. I have low testosterone because of being in war. Yeah. And, you know, my my adrenaline has never reached or will ever peak at, at this high like I did then. So like all these things that that we talk about so that people can understand and, and really get an insight of like, oh shit, I'm going through those things too. Yeah. And this is what I gotta do. So yeah, that's what the book's about. All right. We are uh, I'm gonna read this book. I'm gonna talk about this book. This is um 
this is what I wanted to show you. So this is kind of don't wanna these fins and the air pockets, mm -hmm. there's kind of as the baffles fit on the inside of this, you can see there's space on either end. Yeah. Wait, is this patent or you gotta hide it? I kinda I gotta hide it. <laughs> <laughs> Blur this out. <laughs> um so as the, the baffles are another kind of proprietary thing in the order that mm. we have them stacked in here, there's holes on the outside of the baffles to keep the chamber pressure on the inside. Yeah, we've seen it through that one. All the same. And you can see all the holes mm -hmm. on either end end up sucking air and pushing it through this pocket on, on so this buffer right here oh. has air circulating through it the whole entire time that you're shooting. Okay. Yeah. It's and is that what's getting it's making it get cooler a lot faster right. than okay yep do you want yeah. my sot now or yeah well okay. yeah i got you <laughs> uh, so we're at the range austin for the launch of the huntsman suppressor and uh omar is here he's going to go from here to the south by south uh west we are going to we we goose um to do the panel of mental health so definitely check out the independence fund um Thank you for Thanks, being an amazing dude, for telling your story, for uh, also being talented at violence. Um, <laughs> going to war in 2006 is, uh, is, that was just a rough go. Yeah, it was. And you're still here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. So we'll just keep on keeping on. Yes, sir. And we're going to scoop dive together. Yo, let's go. All right. Come on. All right. All right. Stay safe. Stay free. Um, Drop into the comment section if you have questions uh, about Omar, about his story. The name of the book is Under My Skin, and uh, we'll definitely talk about it. If you want to know more about the Huntsman Suppressor, it is officially launched as of today. So whenever this comes out, that will have been, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago. And uh, so check it out. And if you live local, come shoot with us at the Range Austin anytime. All right. You want to do anything else? Nothing? You haven't said anything today, Doug. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Take care.